So uh, this morning we're we're going to do a little a little bit different. I mean, normally we have kind of a, an Advent series that we do, um, and, and we're still going to do that, but we're going to have a, a little bit different format this time. I'm going to explain in just a minute here. But uh, last week we finished the book of Jude, okay, and, and this week. We're, we're already well into the Advent season, and so um, I'm going to ask you all, if you would, please turn to the book of Luke. We're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the question, why did Jesus come, and then getting answers from the Gospel of Luke. By the way, Craig and I did not plan that, even though that was pretty much what his uh, communion meditation was about. It just happens to, to work out like that quite often. Um, for those of you that were here five years ago, uh, you might remember we've, we've been through the entire Gospel of Luke, and so there's going to be some familiar themes, but... Um, these are all new messages for uh, the rest of the month of December, and they're based around four different texts in the story of baby Jesus. And while, while the kids are finding uh, the bingo pictures here, um, I think there's nine of them, uh, we're going to really quickly go over what we've, uh, what we've been talking about for the last, or what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Um, by the way, a, a series of four messages, I want to say this just really clearly, that will not even scratch the surface of what you really could say about why Jesus came. There's so much more to this than I can adequately unpack in just four sermons. And so um, we have a limited you know, time and space. The plan, however, for the rest of the Sundays in December is to use four passages from Luke to see at least some of, of the, the beautiful facets of the incarnation, which is the Word become flesh. And each of these passages that we're going to look at contains either a monologue or else dialogues um, of people who are involved in the Christmas story. They're all packed with truth. And I believe that we can, we can better know and better love God by understanding some of what they're saying in these passages. So today we're going to start with a moment that Mary and her Aunt Elizabeth meet up for the first time, knowing that the other is miraculously pregnant which is where this picture came from, uh, the movie The Nativity. Uh, we know from either, um, excuse me, we know from earlier in Luke chapter 1 that, uh, that Mary's pregnancy was announced by an angel. Elizabeth's pregnancy was also announced by an angel, but under very different circumstances. Um, Elizabeth's pregnancy was a miracle, but it was for a different reason. It was because of her age. It was because of the fact that she was also previously barren. She was, she was infertile. And, uh, and of course, Mary's pregnancy, that was different. Um, Mary's the only human being in history who ever has or ever will conceive a child without the benefit of a male gamete. And this child was the only, he's also the only fully human and fully God being that ever has or ever will live. He is the greatest miracle since creation, I believe, is the incarnation of God in the flesh. He's the reason we're here today. Uh, say his name with me. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. It's a wonderful name. It's got a lot of power. Now let's pray, and then we're, we're going to get into Luke chapter 1, verses 42 to 55. God... This morning, um, I'm just asking in Jesus' name that you prepare each heart. Father, we've already asked for this. Uh, we know, Lord, that you are faithful to provide 
And so we pray that you make us good soil. God, there's so many reasons that Jesus came, and, and yet uh, I do believe the main one um, is to save us from our sins, as, as Craig mentioned earlier. But there are so many, so many different facets to that, so many different uh, perspectives. And, and when Christ came, his purpose, his purposes um, may have been hidden at the time, but they're revealed through Scripture. They're revealed through his life. They're revealed through the people that you chose to be a part of the Christmas story. And Father, I ask that you help us to not only recognize these truths today, but to apply them to our lives, Father. Help us to know how to do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so to set the story up, Mary has learned from the angel Gabriel that she will be having a baby who will be called the Son of God, okay? And at this point, uh, Joseph has also, he's already been told in a dream um, this is from, from Matthew chapter 2, if you're familiar with that. He's already been told in a dream, excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, um, that, that he should continue his engagement to Mary despite the fact that she is pregnant, even though he did not sleep with her. And um, so he's, he's planning to, to go ahead and follow through with that. Uh, elderly Aunt Elizabeth is also about six months pregnant with Jesus' cousin, who was who? John the Baptist, that's right. So uh, Mary has just entered the house where Elizabeth has been kind of living in seclusion with her pregnancy. And the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, this is what she said. And the first part of this will sound really familiar to you if you were ever uh, raised Catholic, okay? She said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold... When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Y'all, there is so much joy in this paragraph, in this statement. It's just bleeding through the page. And, and really, there's, there's a lot more here than what we're going to talk about. Uh, but I feel like there's a theme in this passage that we just we can't get away from. And that is how God interacts with humble people. You know, all the way through the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, we see that the kingdom of God, which is instituted by Christ himself, has priorities which are upside down from the world's priorities. The Christmas story really accentuates this even more strongly. Today's passage is one of the clearest in showing us that God emphasizes the humble. God emphasizes the humble. Now, you may have noticed there's an asterisk next to the word humble, and we will get to that shortly. Um, but for now, I want, to, I want us to define what humble means. I looked it up, and there are three definitions, and we're going to quickly look at all of them because all of them fit to some degree, okay? So first, humble means marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude, or spirit, not arrogant or prideful. Now, this is probably the most common usage of the word today, especially when, when we use it in church. We mean kind of the opposite of prideful. And while it's not as commonly seen as we would like, this is actually, this sort of humility is probably one of the most attractive qualities that a person can have. When you, when you meet someone who's truly humble, it really, it, it knocks your socks off. It really... Uh, shows up. But humble can also refer 
to someone who is showing deferential or submissive respect. Now, this is pretty closely related to the first one, uh, but it's not necessarily connected to the character of the person so much as a specific action. Okay? The third way the word humble is used is more about a person's circumstances or even their position in society. It means low in rank, quality, or station, unpretentious or lowly. I think in today's passage, um, we see that God tends to show grace to people that fit into all of these categories. You know, an example of this might be a small child, you know, who who's really doesn't have any power, doesn't have any real agency, right? And, and so they're, they're not at all con- concerned with appearing to be something other than that which they are. You know, little kids can be very authentic. They do like to pretend but they still are who they are. And if we stop and think about it, I think God frequently uses those who are horrified at the thought of being used, right? Like Moses or Gideon. And other times God uses people that that totally can't understand why he would pick someone like them. You know, David the shepherd, for instance. Nowhere in Scripture that I can think of does God use someone who says, it's about time you noticed how great I am, Lord. Right? We don't see that. We don't see God grabbing a hold of somebody that just really feels like they're the one. God doesn't tend to work that way. You know, folks like that actually usually get taught lessons. <laughs> um, but, but God instead chooses people that we might think of as the least of these. I want you to think about it. You know, Joseph was a prisoner who then became the second highest in the kingdom of Egypt. Daniel went from an exiled slave to the king's advisor. Esther, from from an obscure Jewish virgin to a Persian queen. Abraham, from an old childless pagan to the father of God's own nation. I think there's a lot of these in Scripture. You know, the, the Apostle Paul is actually kind of unusual in that he was already sort of a, a, a somebody, you know, at the point that God got a hold of him. But for, he was famous for the wrong reasons. But anyway, but he wrote this, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I think it's an awesome reminder of how God works. He says, not many of you, sorry, let me, let me back up, for consider your calling, brothers. He says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, Not many were of noble birth, but God chose, he says, what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I think the better we know the Lord, the more convinced we will be that he despises pride. Even salvation itself is is a gift by grace through faith and not by works. It's a gift of God, right? Why? So that no one may boast. Thank you, Tom. Anyway, God hates pride. We're going to come back to that. But but notice that he tends to emphasize the humble when it comes to chief players in his grand story, right? I'm totally convinced, especially from reading this, that Elizabeth was a humble person. You know, remember, she's an older 
woman. She's way past childbearing age. She's, she's never been able to have a baby. And yet God has miraculously uh, and, and graciously opened her womb. And so she's already, you know, both, both shocked and, and kind of enamored at that whole prospect. This, this is an awesome development for her to be pregnant, right? And so, but, but look, look at this Holy Spirit-led attitude she has here. The key, the key is in the attitude, who am I? Who am I? Why is it granted to me, said Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I mean, isn't that an awesome question? You know, she, she, she simply struggles to believe that she is so blessed. You know, whenever we, we come across an attitude like that today, it really sticks out. You know, nowadays, rather than being surprised by the amazing grace that we encounter, I think sometimes we act like we're entitled to something good, even though we've done absolutely nothing to earn it. Lord, may we be like Elizabeth. So, so God often chooses the least, but he also makes the ordinary extraordinary. And I want you to consider this. We have no evidence that there was anything particularly unusual about Mary in any physical sense. Okay? She didn't have a halo, you know. She wasn't glowing. She certainly was not sinless. Okay? The Bible makes it clear that she was a virgin, but that was nearly always the case in ancient Israel prior to marriage. I mean, sadly, our, our society has sinfully chosen to abandon God's sexual mores, but God designed the gift of sex to be between a man and a woman and the lifelong commitment, covenant of marriage. And in ancient Israel, you know, that it, nearly every woman was a virgin on her wedding night unless she was a widow. So, so that, wasn't, that wasn't the thing that's so impressive about Mary. Instead, it's, it's her response to this strange, shiny dude in her living room that's, that's telling her that she's about to give birth to the son of Yahweh. You know, she's like, okay, Lord, your servant's willing. May it be as you've said. <laughs> that is impressive. That is a humble attitude. God used a peasant girl who was probably otherwise unremarkable except for the fact that she believed him. Just like Abram did. And Elizabeth's words remind us that God doesn't just put emphasis on humble people, but he also empowers them to accomplish great things according to his purposes. In doing so, God brings glory to himself. And, and, and this, this is in stark contrast to secular society because people, people in, in our culture, they, they tend to, to accomplish things that draw attention to themselves for the sake of themselves, right? But God, on the other hand, he, he empowers humble people to do things that they would never be able to do apart from his divine hand. And that's so cool. When he does that, it, it, it really um, it, it brings the attention on him more so than on them, at least if they're willing to give credit where credit is due. If you think about this culture that Elizabeth and Mary lived in, you got to remember, they are not... Women in general were not typically at the top of the, the social totem pole, right? I mean, particularly young women who are pregnant before the wedding, right? That would have been a big, a big no-no, a big shock. So clearly they were not, you know, their social status would not have been very high. And yet God gave this probably a teenage girl the ability to do something that no queen has ever done. And that is give birth to a child whose reign would be eternal. 
Well, there's a, at least a couple of ways that we see in this passage how the Lord empowers the humble. And probably the most notable way, at least to me, is that he fills them with himself. God fills the humble with himself. I want, I want you to pause here for a second, okay? I, I think this statement has a lot more meaning than at first glance. What is, what is even more humble, smaller, meeker, more helpless than this poor peasant girl? What's that? How about an unborn baby? Did you notice, by the way, that Elizabeth didn't say, as Mary walked in, at the sound of your voice, the clump of cells in my uterus inexplicably spasmed. No, of course she doesn't say, she doesn't say that. She says, no, the baby, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Y'all, that'll preach. <laughs> okay, I don't even need to go back further into that right now. Okay, anyway, so... Mary had the actual, just think about this, Mary had the actual Son of God growing inside her, okay? Because she had been overshadowed by the Holy Spirit of God. Elizabeth had another child growing inside of her who already had the Holy Spirit living inside of him from the womb, all right? And, and the Holy Spirit fell on her and filled her up before she started talking. God is practically everywhere in this narrative. He's just all in and throughout it. This is a powerful reminder for us, I think, that today God actually places his spirit inside of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the only way to be born again is by God giving you new birth from above. And he puts his Holy Spirit in you. So all of us who submit to God's call with humble faith, with repentant faith, he indwells us. So, once again, he fills the humble with himself. Let's take a, let's take a look now at, at Mary's response. Uh, and Mary said, I, I'm sorry, I cannot read this without thinking about you, Norma, at Hillcrest, singing, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Uh, Norma, at about what, age 45, was the Virgin Mary in their play? Uh, it was awesome. Anyway, some of you guys remember this. Um, Sorry, I'm so off the kid. <laughs> Come back down. Okay, so anyway, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, you know, once again, we, we see, I, I think I actually added too much to this one. I was going to get into it in the next one, but that's okay. We see this, this beautiful attitude of who am I, right? Mary is just shocked. She, she's sitting there going, this is so big. This whole thing is so big and I'm so small and yet here's God using me. Mary understands her own loneliness. She, she, knows, she knows she's done nothing to, to deserve this incredible privilege and yet she rejoices in God because he looked on the humble state of his servants. Now notice she's using humble according to the third definition from earlier. Not like, y'all, I'm just so humble. That's, no, she's, but in like the, the meager, minor, unimportant way. When she says humble estate, it's like she's just in awe that he even noticed her. And I love that. 
I want you to, guys, just bear with me for a second here, okay? Isn't that how we ought to be? Shouldn't we be in awe that God notices us? Are you ever amazed to think about the fact that God sees you? There, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I, I, love, I love the show. I'm not a fan of everything that they, that they take out of context or move around or ignore when they, for that show, the, the Chosen. But I love the part where Jesus is talking to that woman and he says, I see you. Don't you just want to be seen sometimes? Doesn't it hit you right in the heart that God sees you? You. He sees you. Not in that, you know, the Bette Midler sense, you know, where God is watching us from a distance. No, it's not like that. It's not like God is just way, way out there looking at the little tiny green and blue orb floating in space. He's far more involved than that. And some people think, oh, yeah, he's so involved. They have this, like, idea of God as some hypercritical, super judgmental, you know, dude that sits on the throne just waiting for you to mess up so he can hit the smite button. You know, that's not how God is. You know, he simply sees you. Right where you are, he sees you. He saw Mary. He notices the humble and he blesses them in unique ways. You know, clearly no one else is ever going to be blessed in precisely the same way that Mary was. You know, there's clearly there's only one Jesus Christ. Okay. No one else is ever going to be allowed to, to carry the precious Savior in their womb. Okay. Jesus is utterly unique. He's born of a virgin in order that he might be both fully man and fully God. But the book of Hebrews also tells us that it's not something that's going to happen again because he died, it says, once for all. You know that, right? Jesus died once for all to pay for our sins. So there's never going to be another atoning death. Jesus paid it all. It's done in Christ. And he has risen from the grave as he promised, and he's seated now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And even now, he intercedes for us as he waits to return make things right, even now. So Mary's blessing from the Lord was very unique, but, but I want to just encourage you with this, okay? Because not only does God see you, if you are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit, then you've got something Mary herself didn't experience. At least not until after uh, Pentecost. If she was a believer, then I'm, I'm assuming she received the Holy Spirit. But that's pretty amazing, Every person, every single human being who is indwelt by God's Spirit has blessings that are different from those that others experience. No no one else in the world, I want you to to just bear this in mind. Think about this, okay? No one else in the whole wide world is going to fill that specific role that God created and empowered you to fulfill, that God placed you in. Are you aware of that? I'm not saying you're indispensable because God can do whatever God's going to do, however God's going to do it. But in the place where you are, God has given you a role that no one else is able to fill. There is someone at your school, someone in your workplace, that God has created you to speak into their life. 
He has given you the ability to reach that person in some way. Now, could God reach that person through another way? Absolutely, because God is God. But he created you to reach that person. Think about that. He has given you that gift, that ability. That's a really cute laugh. If you're a parent and you still have children in the home, you know, you got to understand that God has given you an amazing opportunity to raise up those kids effectively, to raise those children to know him. He's given you that gift. That's something that no one else is going to do in the same way that you can. The question is, are you, are you up for it? You know, if, if you're willing to humbly receive God's call, then, then I know the answer is yes. You may not feel up to it, but you are. Because God has given you the ability to do that. He does not place you in a position and then command you to do something that he's not empowering you to do. Does that make sense? Mary continues, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That was, we looked at that last, that, there's so much in that sentence. Uh, it's not the main point for today, but just look, look how far that goes when you're talking about parenting. I mean, it's just from generation to generation. Gosh, anyway, uh, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So, so the, Lord, the Lord doesn't just emphasize and empower the humble, he also exalts them. God exalts the humble. Remember, in sending his son Jesus, God was revealing to the world that his kingdom is upside down. And since I didn't really explain what that means earlier, let me, let me just, here's the gist, okay? The qualities that the world views as important, like power and wealth and, and intelligence and you know, all, all of these type things that, that they think are so, so valuable, they often get in the way of the glory of God. You know, he, he reveals himself by working through humble people because as he told Paul, his strength is perfected in weakness. God values humility. He values forgiveness. He values grace because they mirror his character. And so when we, when we show these traits, what we're doing is bringing glory to God. And as such, God elevates the humble above the great. You know, sometimes that happens in this life. Uh, but, but those who are humble and godly will always ultimately be exalted over those who are great but godless. It doesn't matter how big and powerful and rich someone is here. If they are without God, they'll be brought low. And it doesn't matter how meek or weak or disenfranchised we may be. If we have God, Ultimately, we have everything. More than once, the Bible reminds us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's actually kind of a, a, a translation of a proverb. We see it in 1 Peter and in James. There is a sacred reversal to what God does. His, his, 
his upside down kingdom is so different from the world. You know, the mighty are, are brought down and the wealthy have lack, but the poor are satisfied in God's kingdom. The meek are lifted up in God's kingdom. The leader is servant of all in God's kingdom. Uh, it, it hasn't always been that way in the church, unfortunately. If you go look through the history of the church, oftentimes there, there are um, points at which the church becomes um, far more interested in power and wealth and in humility. But that's how it ought to be where the church is humble, where the servant leader is the one who, who cares for others. That's how things should be. One of the most amazing things, I think, about the early church was that a person could be a slave in the secular world in their home. That, you know, they, they could be working under someone else, and yet they could be a bishop in their church because that's, that's just how things are. You know, it, it, social status means absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God. Nothing. Spiritual maturity, of which I believe the crowning mark of spiritual maturity is humility. That matters far more. In God's kingdom, the humble are exalted. And the exalted are humbled. Let's finish Mary's statement. Uh, he, that's the Lord, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Y'all, this is, this, is, this is super important. This is key, okay? I think we, we Gentile folk, we sometimes kind of forget that the coming of Jesus was the fulfillment of centuries of promises that God gave to his people. You know, we, we see everything from two millennia on the other side of the cross. You know, that's how we view it. But, but Mary and Elizabeth, they got to see this from a, a uniquely Jewish perspective. You know, God had given his word to Abraham and his, his offspring forever. And, and we're going to talk a lot more about the faithfulness of God next week. But... Um, for this week, I just I want us to remember how amazing it is that God would spend more than 1,600 years preparing the world and his people for the, the, the coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a long time warming up to this. Take a quick trip through history with me to Genesis chapter 12. This is, this is when the Lord went to a moon-worshiping tribe in the land of Ur and got a hold of one particular man. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you and who dishonors you I will curse, and in you... All, all the families of earth will be blessed. I think this is, this is an important text for us to consider whenever we think about how we, as people or as a nation, should relate to the nation of Israel, okay? But that's for another day. What's a lot more important right here, what's more amazing, I think, is that last line right there. In you, in other words, Abram. In you, through your family line, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Who's he talking about? <laughs> right. I, I think more people knew the answer to that. Who is he talking about? Jesus. 
All the nations of the earth shall be blessed through, through this blessing's name is Jesus. And through him, God gives eternal glory to humble people. It is only those who will come to him in faith. You know, how do we know that? We know that because Jesus told us that. You know, in Matthew 18, uh, he said, Truly I say to you, you know this one, right? Unless you turn and become like what? Children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? This is really important, okay? This is because I've heard this mis misinterpreted so many times. He very clearly explains why a person has to be like a child. It is not because a child is innocent. How many of you have kids? How many of them are innocent? Right. It's not because of their innocence. It's because of their humility. If you think you deserve to go to heaven because of your own goodness or your own works, then you are lacking the essential ingredient that allows you to have saving faith. You must be humble. Set the pride aside. And so my challenge for you today, we're ending with this, my challenge for you today is twofold. First, if you have been relying on yourself in any way for salvation, repent and humbly come to God through faith in the sacrifice and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. And secondly, if you already belong to Christ through faith, but your priorities are more in line with the kingdom of this world instead of the kingdom of the Lord. I want you to repent and embrace his upside-down kingdom. You know, that, that's why the second part of our church motto after love God, love others is serve the least, reach the lost. What are God's priorities? Christ touched lepers and he searched for wandering sheep. He did, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Shouldn't we follow his lead? So this, this morning, the invitation for you is, if you have not received Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. You can. It is by grace through faith that you're saved. You're not a good enough person to go to heaven. None of us are. We all need the sacrifice of Christ. And if you realize that this morning and you believe for the first time, I, I tell you what you must do according to Scripture. You know, it's, it's not something that you just go, well, that's between me and God. No, he says, come up and he says, confess with your mouth. He says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And Scripture tells us to be baptized, to be immersed in water. And then it tells us that we need to walk in obedience. This is not like a one-time, oh, well, I guess I'll just do this today and then, yep, I'm good. No, God says, Let's keep this going. Take up your cross daily. So if you've not given your life to Christ by, by God's Holy Spirit nudging you and convicting you, if you've not turned to Him in faith, if you've not gone through that process of professing your faith and being baptized, I challenge you, do that today. We're here for that today. If you've already done these things, but you're like, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm really wanting to be a part of a church body. We want you. We're here for you. We want to walk alongside you and help you in your journey and have you help us in ours. And if you're just, you know what, I've, I've, I've been gone through the, I've, I've believed in Jesus and I've been baptized and, and I've professed my faith. I've been trying to do it, right, but man, I'm just messing up. I just need somebody to pray over me. We will do that. 
doesn't even have to be, you don't have to come up here and be like, let me give you a laundry list of all the terrible things I did this week. No, just say, I need prayer. We're, we love you. We want to pray for you. So you have a, a, a chance, a time right now to experience God's grace in a way through his people that maybe you weren't expecting. And so I, I just challenge you this morning, okay? Do what the Holy Spirit leads. Don't say no to him.